on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. They just wanted it to go away. Oh, nobody helped us. Nobody would talk to us. They gave up. And I talked to those Compton guys a lot, the Compton sergeant and detective, and they were frustrated because it was solved and, and Metro didn't want to solve it. And it just, it was almost like they were stubborn and they come out with this stance and that was you know that's our story and we're sticking to it and they were not going to budge las vegas it's more than just a city it's a feeling it's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window it's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard taking in the sights and sounds and it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 163 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into it for this episode of the podcast, I want to take a moment and thank my guest from the last episode, Las Vegas entertainer, Melody Sweets. Melody, who you may recognize from her time as the Green Fairy in the Smash show Absinthe, recently launched a new comedy slash baking web series titled Sweets Spot. Melody was kind enough to jump on the show to have a conversation about her life pre-Vegas, as well as her time working with Absinthe and Spiegel World. And we went in-depth on Sweet's Spot, as she shared the inspiration behind the series, her love for her production team and castmates, and what the future of Sweet's Spot may look like. If you haven't listened yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 162, The Sweet Things in Life with Melody Sweets. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. It's been almost three decades since the world lost one of the most influential and iconic rap artists of all time, Tupac Shakur. On the night of September 7th, 1996, Tupac was shot multiple times while sitting in a car at a stoplight at the corner of Flamingo Road and Koval Lane just east of the Vegas Strip. He died six days later at University Medical Center. The case has remained unsolved for the past 27 years, and the circumstances surrounding the murder have been shrouded in uncertainty and speculation, with multiple theories floating around on who killed Tupac. My guest for this episode of the podcast is here to shed some light on the crime and maybe even peel away a few layers of the mystery. Kathy Scott is the author of the best-selling book, The Killing of Tupac Shakur, Who Did It and Why, which is considered to be one of the best books on the subject of Tupac's murder. At the time of the shooting, Kathy was working as a journalist for the Las Vegas Sun, and she was one of the first people to report Tupac's death. Kathy and I went extremely in-depth during our conversation about the murder. We covered everything from the timeline of the events of the night of the shooting, to the aftermath and retaliation killings in Compton and Los Angeles, to the bungled police investigation, to recent developments in the case. Please enjoy my conversation with Kathy Scott. It was a fight night in Las Vegas, Mike Tyson, Bruce Seldon, and um, so the town was crowded. 
really, really crowded. And Tupac Shakur was a big rapper. Um, in hip hop, he was with um, Death Row Records and Shug Knight, who ran Death Row Records. And um, they were in, uh, he came in to see the fight and um, got into a skirmish, and um, everything changed. And so let's talk a little bit about how the actual shooting itself was to have unfolded or, or was said to have unfolded. It was following the the fight at the MGM Grand and Tupac and his entourage were were on their way for a, a, a night on the town, correct? Yeah, after the fight, it was 109 seconds, um, you know, and and um, Selden got knocked out by Tyson and 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 Tupac and Suge and and their entourage were all, you know, backup singers basically were walking from the Grand Garden. Um, arena at the MGM Grand Hotel. Uh, well, yeah, MGM Grand, it's everything, casino, hotel. Um, and uh, one of Tupac's guys who was with him, Trayvon, uh, said, sees Orlando Anderson, who was a uh, um, gangbanger out of uh, South Central LA, sees him leaning against the um, a wall waiting, waiting for his friends because he, he didn't have a ticket. So he's waiting for, for his homeboys from South Central, uh, LA. And Trayvon recognizes him. There was a bounty on a death row pendant, a great big pendant, you know, great big thing, gold, uh, of a, um, electric chair. And uh, two months earlier at a, uh, you know, at a shoe store, someone had ripped um, the uh, one of the gold necklaces and it, it was Trayvon. And he sees Orlando and goes, hey, that that's Lando from South Central. He stole my necklace. They uh, jumped on top of him and uh, Tupac and Entourage and, and Shug Knight started uh, just pouncing on him. And, um, and, uh, you know, he's a gangbanger and he goes back and tells everybody, you know, what happened to him, Orlando. And, and, um, they're all about street justice. That's what their thing is. They don't have any, you know, you did this to me, I do this to you and, and retaliation and, and, um, went out and, uh, everybody knew Tupac was going to be performing at Club 662, not too far away. And they just went back and forth on the street. Um, and then they happened to see to Club 662, Orlando Anderson and a white Cadillac with his homeboys. And, um, Orlando sees, Suge Knight and and uh, Tupac in a BMW car and you know the sunroof's open the windows are down and Tupac's all jacked up and dancing he's sticking his head out of the sunroof and and uh, they fire at him and uh, and shoot him. The interesting thing about this too was that I mean this occurred the initial shooting occurred at at uh, Koval and and uh, uh, Flamingo. And then from there, it basically, it carried on to an entirely different scene altogether. Well, it, it, I was just there 
with a TV crew um, down on Koval and Flamingo, literally just a couple of days ago, and also on the strip where the car ended up. So what happened was it was just bumper to bumper, of course. It was a, I mean, Saturday night in Vegas is crowded enough, but on fight night, it was just crazy. So when the shooting took place, two bicycle cops with the Metro Police Department, Las Vegas, happened to be in a car garage right next to the street. And they were on the fourth store, fourth floor, I think. They had their bikes on the bottom floor and, and they, um, they heard the shots and they hustled on down. And instead of one stain and preserving the scene of the crime, they both took off to follow Suge Knight, who Suge wanted to get away from the, the Cadillac and the shooter. So he, he pops a U-turn. And because of traffic, he goes down the median. So he goes down the concrete median, which, you know, he was on and off of it. So he got a flat tire. He's messing up his rims. He got to the strip, hung a left, and it's about... It's about two blocks, two blocks down as, as blocks go on the strip. And he got stuck in the middle of the street, um, kind of kitty corner in the middle of the street. So the police did not secure that first crime scene for 20 minutes. So we'll never know what witnesses, you, you cannot re, you know, reconstruct it. What, what, Bullet shells were there and weren't, you know, because um, the entourage, um, they they returned fire. They were unsuccessful, although they did hit one bullet into the Cadillac, but um, later found out where the Cadillac was and, and all of that. They had it fixed. But um, uh, it was just from from beginning to... Well, it's almost the end, but but all this time, it, it just has been uh, almost Keystone Cops. I mean, it just, nobody tried to solve it. Uh, nobody wanted to interview anybody, and it just sat dormant until recently. I want to get to all the different ways that the, the investigation was bungled by Vegas Metro, because they did as you say, they really did kind of keystone cop it right from right from the initial moment of of the incident. But the aftermath of the the shooting of Tupac and the the killing of Tupac was almost instantaneous. I mean, there were retaliation shootings in Los Angeles and Compton over a, a, a multi-day and and as you said, even a, a multi-year period. It was about five days solid, but they got one of one of the shooters. They uh, not shooters, but one of the guys in the car. They got him right off the bat, and 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 the thing the thing about it is that the Compton Compton Police, which Compton Police Department is no longer, but these two gang cops, a sergeant and a detective, were incredible. And they got intelligence from the ground that, and they were covering the shootings. You know, I mean, they were taking care of business on their part of town, part of town in, in California and Compton. But, and they shared it with the Metro Police Department. Orlando Anderson was walking all over, running around Compton and South Central, telling everybody, I capped 
Tupac, I capped Tupac. Then when Tupac died, six days, six days later, right? When Tupac died, um, he uh, stopped talking. But um, they had, uh, so they rounded, they, the Compton police, uh, police did a roundup in, in late September, October, a gang roundup. And they told Metro police, we are going to go to Orlando Anderson's house. You know, he's an active gang, gang member. He lived with his uncle, Keefe D., who was just detained in Las Vegas and his house search. In the house was a Glock 45, which Tupac was shot with. And um, I'm uh, my understanding is there was ammo as well. And as you know, bullets, when they go into a body, they um, pretty much, especially a Glock and that caliber, it distorts the bullet. So they they tried to do, uh, they did ballistics. Um, and my understanding is they sent it to uh, Quantico, to the FBI. If they didn't, they should do it now. But it came back inconclusive. Tests today are far better than they were back then, um, and forensics tests. But inconclusive doesn't mean that the bullet you have or the shell you have didn't come from that gun. So a detective from the police department was there in Compton. They detained Orlando Anderson um, and for, for the Metro Police Department in Las Vegas. They had a chat. They did not question Orlando about Tupac's murder, and then they left town. It was as if they didn't. My my thing is, I would I kept asking, why, you know, why why does this look so different from other investigations? And I was told from the top, from a captain at the time, that um, a big trial like that, a bunch of rappers coming in, South Central people coming in, would be bad for tourism, and I they honestly thought it would go away. And the less they did, the more the media and the public were interested in it. So it actually became bigger. And, but, but until recently, and we're what, 26 years into it, they finally, there's a new sheriff, new homicide unit, uh, which, you know, it's, it's been a long time. And, and, he is, uh, uh, he's got hard evidence that Keefe D, who was in the car with Orlando Anderson when he fired the shot, Keefe D got on BET and said, I was in the car. He's calling himself a witness. He's an accessory to a murder. Not a, he's, he thought he was telling everybody he was a witness and it was okay to say it. Dude, everybody in that car had had the motivation to shoot Tupac. Um, and so he said it on BET, and my understanding is he wrote it somewhere, he said it somewhere else. That's hard evidence, and that is the new evidence that has come up, and that is why they searched Keefe D's house in Las Vegas, and he is Orlando Anderson's um, uncle. And apparently he said on the tape as well that, 
he handed Orlando the gun, which that makes him more than an accessory to murder. I believe he can get a murder um, uh, charge for himself because he provided the weapon. Uh, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't keep people from themselves. You know what I mean? But it, but it's all great stuff. It's about time. In reading your book, it was fascinating to me, the number of ways that, as you say, Metro screwed up the investigation on this. I mean, everything from not securing that initial scene to searching the wrong scene to ignoring the fight at the MGM grand and the altercation and failing to investigate. It just, it absolutely baffles me that it went as badly as it did. Yeah. It's, it's um, if it weren't so sad, it would be comical. But the the thing about the grand, you, you know, the MGM grand in that video of of Tupac and Suge and the other guys kicking and beating on Orlando, um, Suge Knight was on probation for something out of I think it was out of L.A. They got him on that. You know, they got they got him for you can't go pouncing on somebody when you're on probation. So he. He, for participating in that, Orlando Anderson, who, who's the shooter, walked away. But um, the thing about it is Orlando Anderson was interviewed, talked to, and you can see it on the videotape. I'm sure you, you can go online and see the videotape of, of the beat, beat down and then, and then Orlando talking afterward to um, uh, police. By the way, that videotape was leaked. It wasn't something the police presented to the public. It was leaked. And then after it was leaked, the uh, police, Las Vegas police didn't know who Orlando was. They didn't even know his name because the security didn't take his name. And then a police officer with Metro talked to him as well. And you can see that in the video. He did not do an incident report. It's just a little incident report. I mean, you, they do incidents reports and they didn't do one. So, so they had to contact. So Metro had to contact Compton PD gang cops and say, Hey, who is this in the video? And they go, that's, that's Orlando, little Lando, um, Anderson, who's a gangbanger in uh, in in uh, Compton, and his uncle is uh, Keefe D, who's who was a bigwig at the time in the in the uh, uh, Crips gang, street gang. So it, it, it's almost I mean you can't make this stuff up. Something else that came up in the book were were just some of the the struggles, and investigators did face a lot of struggles on this. I mean, they had an issue with actually getting witnesses or or having a lack of willing witnesses but it almost seemed that a lot of that was they brought it on themselves in the way they approached anybody who could potentially be of any kind of assistance in the case well when you throw everybody on the ground and 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 then you put them on the curb and tell them not to talk to each other and you treat them like suspects they were the victims you know, they were driving, minding their own business, going to a club and where Tupac was going to perform. And, and these guys attacked them. 
And and I don't know why they couldn't get that story straight from the scene. I mean, the bike cops who were there at the street saw it, but or if they talked to to Suge Knight, they would have known that. They they also messed up because, um, I mean, you had police on the scene, but or you know, Suge Knight pulled with I guess it with a cop or somebody else on the street pulled. Tupac out of the vehicle. So his door wanted open completely. They had to pry it open. The door wanted open completely. Tupac had a chest wound and they pulled him out and, and put him on the ground. And my thing is how much damage did they do? More damage to him did they do when they did that? You never touch anybody. You don't move them. And I just wonder if, you know, because chest wound, they could not stop the bleeding. You know, he lost two liters of blood. And uh, he never he never uh, regained consciousness. But um, it, it, it just was, yeah, they, they, you know, I interviewed the lieutenant, I'd interviewed the sergeant, I'd interviewed the detectives. It was a three-man team, two detectives, one sergeant, and the lieutenant oversaw it. And the lieutenant sat on TV, told me, well, they want to cooperate with us. Well, of course they want to cooperate with you because you were antagonistic toward them. You treat It was hostile. You treated them like criminals. And and it, 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 they were victims. And, and it, it just, but you can't get that out of them. That's their mantra. That's what they're going to keep saying. Uh, and, uh, but now it, it's, it's refreshing to see what's going on now um, that uh, they're finally doing it the way they should have from the start. After the break, Kathy shares her theories on why it's taken so long for the investigation into Tupac's murder to move forward. And we discuss the adversarial relationship that Las Vegas police had with the media during the initial days following the shooting. That's next on Jeff Does Vegas. Something else that I found really interesting, too, with this was the way the police interacted with the media in this story, in that they they treated the media in this almost with a, a combative or confrontational attitude as opposed to asking for the public's assistance or asking for the media assistance or trying to get the help out. It was they were butting heads with the media pretty much right from the start on this. They wanted the media to have nothing to do with it. Yeah, they wanted it to go away, and that isn't how you make it go away. So the interesting thing is, you know, there's no paparazzi in Las Vegas. It's not like Los Angeles where they hang out, and they don't let them do that. Nobody's ever done it. I, maybe it's from the mob days, but there's no paparazzi here. So, But you had a lot of reporters, sports reporters, um, TV people, um, and magazine people, Rolling Stone was in town to cover the um, the fight, and I um, I met with the Rolling Stone reporter because he couldn't he couldn't get in to see homicide, so I just drove him there, introduced him to the homicide cop. He called later and and left me a message on my recorder and said, "Don't you ever do that to me again. I'm not talking to the national media." And, and when he, when that sergeant came in one day that first week and there were 300 messages on his recording, 
uh, you know, back in the days when we had telephone recorders for messages, he turned off his recorder and he didn't return calls. So I was reporting like crazy. So reporters from back East and, and everywhere else, they were calling me um, to see what was going on. <clears throat> so Kevin Powell, who was with, um, and Kevin's done a, books and everything else since, but um, Kevin Powell was with Rolling Stone. He was the, it was a gift I gave him. <laughs> and he was the only national reporter to, uh, he came out first in Rolling Stone with the story because nobody else could get any information at all. So the, the sergeant sat down with him for 30 minutes, but my God, was he ticked off at me for that. But, you know, I'm proud of moments like that when, you know, we can we can kind of circumvent them when they, you know, you I love a challenge. You want to shut me down. I'll go up sideways under whatever I, you know, I have a lot of sources in the police department and and county and city when I was in a reporter in Las Vegas. And so I was able to get get things. Sometimes they didn't like me very much. But, you know, when something happens, it's, it's not a popularity contest. You're reporting the news and they're trying to shut you down from covering it. And they um, it, it didn't work. It made them. I mean, kind of look pitiful, don't you think? Yeah, it, it absolutely, as I say, it baffles me that they would think that they would be able to bury a story of this size. I mean, as as you said off the top, I mean, Tupac Shakur's his his career at that time was was really starting to skyrocket and really starting to pick up and rap and hip hop was going very mainstream. I know in the that time in the mid to late nineties, I was working in top forty radio. And we were starting to get a lot of requests and a lot of um, a lot of push to be playing music from Tupac and 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 Notorious B.I.G. and and that and that whole East West side of things. And and I get it. It it again. It absolutely amazes me that they thought that they could suppress a story like this. That blows me away. Yeah, honestly, that first week, and then when he died, I was at the hospital when he died, and. Um, we, as before everybody had cell phones, I had a radio, you know, that went straight to the news desk. And, and after I spoke to the doctor and, and got the confirmation, the other, the other newspaper in town wasn't at the hospital. And, um, so I wrote the story in my notebook and then I called it in to the radio filed it and the Las Vegas Sun had just gotten its website two weeks earlier, had gone live with it. The other paper in town didn't have a website yet. I think one TV station had a website. But so we went with the online group and reported it. So we were the first to report that Tupac had died. Within two hours, I think, it shut down our website. It got overloaded and our website shut down. But, um, you know, I'm proud of that moment too. You know, when you, you, you know, it's important, it's important to get the news out. And, and today we can do it so much easier. But that was in, in the early days of uh, the internet. And, and, um, so that was 1996. People had internet, but not all the newspapers and TV stations. And so we weren't just up yet. And, um, so it was quite a, quite a moment. Let's talk about the whodunit 
side of it because th- this is a, a fascinating case, as you say, in that the way the police bungled everything, it, it almost seemed like off the top. I mean, in the initial moments or the initial period following the the shooting, they didn't really have suspects per se, other than the people that they dragged out of the car. But they weren't suspects. You know, they were, they were, you know, they were part, you know, they were with Suge Knight. Suge was the uh, victim, Tupac the victim. And then the, you know, the people with them were potential victims because someone's firing out of a car at, at him. But, uh, they treat they treated them like criminals instead of treating them like either bystanders or or victims themselves. And from the get go, they did that. They they it was lopsided. They were going after the wrong people. And then Suge Knight, you know, he grew up in Compton and he went to UNLV. He was captain of the police. Um, uh, I'm sorry, captain of the football team, but he still grew up in Compton. He was a gangbanger. He was a pyro, you know, and it was a Crips who shot him. So, of course, the next day, you know, real justice took place that week, you know, on the streets where the Bloods and the Crips, you know, uh, fired. And and uh, it was the Bloods who killed, uh, I, 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 it was one person in the car and, um, and I don't, uh, there were, I think four or five people shot a little girl was shot too, which is unfortunate. I mean, they don't, you, you know, they just go rat a tat town and fire at houses and, and they hit every, you know, it's, there's nothing controlled about that sort of thing. But the gang cops in Compton, you know, practically handed Orlando Anderson to them on a silver platter. And that was the thing that was so unusual. And then, and then Orlando Anderson, you know, lawyered up. Uh, and then why would you do that unless you were guilty? And then six months later, Orlando Anderson got dead in a, in a car to car shooting unrelated, um, uh, having to do with money that a buddy of his was picking up and Orlando happened to be in the car with him and he got, he got killed too. But, um, it's so, so Orlando's gone. He's not gone. He wasn't, you know, incarcerated because of, of the shooting of Tupac, but at least he's off the streets, you know, and now with Keefe D finally one person, everybody in the car that night in the Cadillac where, from where Orlando Anderson fired, everybody's dead except for Keefe. And Keefe's going to be the only one who goes to jail. Yeah, these these new developments in the case were very interesting to see come up. And it was back in July when the search warrant was executed. Um, and, and then in August, the story was breaking that it seemed like charges were imminent against Keefe D. Do you think that he is going to end up facing charges? Oh, absolutely. And in uh, Clark County, which is Las Vegas, um, it's, it's, uh, the grand juries take longer. So my understanding is there is a grand jury. Keefe D is nowhere to be found. So I don't know if he's being detained by the police. Um, they're not saying they did do that initial news release was just music to everyone's ears because finally, and, and it, and it also, um, quells all the ridiculous, um, 
conspiracy theories that were around, just all this, you know, crud and uh, the fact that there, you know, that was, that was it. Compton PD tried to get Vegas PD to do it. And finally they are one of the gang cops from Compton. He's, he, he was, uh, the sergeant. He's dead. You know, he, he died of cancer. And, and for me, it's unfortunate he didn't live to see this. But um, so he there is a grand jury convening. So it's easy to do an indictment. And it, after that is you have to come forward with everything. So we do expect an indictment coming down at some, some point fairly soon. And um, then he will be charged. And it's going to be interesting to see what the charges on, on Keefe D are, uh, if they um, are, I, I believe, accessory to murder will be it. He provided the gun um, and he handed the gun to Orlando by his own words um, so that he could have he could have a murder probably murder to charge on him, murder in the second degree, but it's going to be really interesting um, to see. And uh, I would imagine uh, Keefe was up for something else recently out of L.A., and he was trying to do a, a queen for a day, where for a day you talk to the prosecutors and they can't, uh, charge you with anything you tell them. And he was just making up all kinds of stuff and they didn't buy it. And, and he didn't get a queen for a day. He was trying to talk to Metro police as well. And they wouldn't talk to him. So, um, I think he's going to be singing like a bird and he's going to want to make a deal, but I, I don't know what kind of deal he could do because there's nobody else to turn in. Everybody's gone. So unless there's something else going on he can share intelligence with, he's going to go down for a long time. And Nevada prisons um, are not the best place to be in state prisons. So I visited um, inmates and a few of them when I was doing stories, but then they're not the uh, most comfortable places to be. I mean, other than bungled investigations and and confrontations with the media and unwilling witnesses. Um, and, and it almost seems too like there was a certain level of resentment between Vegas Metro and and uh, against the, the Compton and Los Angeles Police Department because it seemed like they did a lot of the heavy lifting with this investigation, even though it was not in their jurisdiction. But with all of that aside, I mean, are those the reasons that it's taken this long to, to get to this point and it's stayed unsolved as long as it has or do you think there's there's another reason behind that no i i think i think they wanted it to go away and then once they got in that mode they weren't going to shift i you know it's like okay you know you've done this now you know now now continue you know investigate the case but they just wanted it to go away oh nobody's nobody nobody helped us nobody would talk to us they gave up uh, for all these years, they gave up, and it was frustrating. And I caught talk to those Compton guys a lot. We got together. Um, we we got together for dinner a couple of times, and the Compton uh, sergeant and detective, and they were frustrated because it was solved, and and Metro didn't want to solve it, and it just it was almost like they were stubborn, and they come out 
with this stance and that was, you know, that's our story and we're sticking to it and they were not going to budge. It's embarrassing for the police department, I think, but now, um, and all those guys are retired now, but now, um, uh, finally, you know, they're doing something about it. It's the same story it was from the beginning. Keefe D, you know, they had they had him and Orlando in in LA with a Glock gun. And that's that's uh circumstantial evidence and um they didn't uh they didn't follow up with it. So you know, the question from the Compton cops at the time to me was, what what is going on? They never seen anything like it. You don't try to not solve a murder. You don't sweep everything under the rug. You don't act antagonistic toward reporters who are just trying to do their jobs and get information. And the whole thing stunk. But there wasn't anything nefarious involved. It, it was apparently just because um, they didn't want the attention um, because of a trial. And then they ended up just getting a boatload of attention every anniversary. Um, anything that would come up in hip hop, Metro police would get back on asking them, where did the, you know, where did the investigation stand? The investigation stood nowhere. I mean, it kind of died that first week. Tupac died. It turned it into a murder and, and, um, and, and it, it just nothing, nothing progressed past that. One, one guy uh, in the, in the in one of the cars behind uh, Suge Knight's when when it was fired upon, and Tupac's Yafafula said that he could ID the shooter, and Yafa ended up getting killed, I think in October, and I at first thought it was connected. Um, it was in a low income housing project in Orange, New Jersey, and. Um, he he was outside sitting down um, outside his girlfriend's apartment, sitting down with her when two guys come up and shot him. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think the Crips had it in them to go to, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not the mob, you know what I mean? They're not sophisticated to go to Orange to shoot them. Apparently it was some financial dispute or something, and, and that's why. But then, of course, all these conspiracy theories come up when Yoffa Fuller was shot. But that really is the last big thing that happened in the case, and nothing has happened since, uh, you know, other than... Um, uh, and now, since Keefe, this is the biggest thing that's happened. And and the roundup in, in Compton was big. And, and that could have right then been an arrest of Orlando Anderson, take him to trial, and everything would have been over. But they, they just didn't want to do it. And, it. and not for any nefarious reasons. I think they just were sticking to their guns. That's what we came out with. That's what we're staying with. And it just made everybody look inept. So with the book that you've got out, with all these new developments now that have, uh, that have come out, once things kind of maybe are put to rest, are we going to see a, a, a final edition of the book? Well, I talked to my publisher and... Um, 
we did do a third edition in 2014. I think it was something going on with Suge Knight and a lot more has happened. You know, Suge is in, in prison for murdering, um, uh, what a TV producer, you know, because he wouldn't put him in a movie. Um, but you know, that, you know, we can get into that another time, but Suge Knight and his connection to Biggie Smalls murder is just, you know, um, uh, that all the evidence points to, to him ordering it. But the fact that he's incarcerated, um, and, uh, and for murder and and Keefe D is about to be arrested once he is arrested and if he's convicted then we'll probably come out with a, a fourth edition and puts his puppy to rest excellent well Kathy thank you again for taking time to to jump on and and talk about this case I just felt that with uh, a, an anniversary of of the the murder approaching and with the story back in the news um, I thought it was uh, important to get you on to to have the conversation and, and share the story. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do so. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production.